We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. It's good to see everybody this evening. I hope you've had a good start to your week. I hope you had a good week last week. Still pretty cool outside. I'm ready for summer. I don't know about you. Did everybody get your clocks set? See, some of these things, our phone and other ones, they know that I can't remember, so they just do it automatically for me. So I really appreciate that. But others, we have to set that. And I sure am glad my wife is on top of that all the time. It's good to see you here. And it's a good, good day to love the Lord. Jared read to us out of the book of Luke and looking at another one of the miracles of Jesus, miracles, works, signs, and wonders, different aspects of Jesus displaying his deity, his supernatural power. He raised people from the dead. That was one category. He healed people in wondrous um, miracles, feeding 4,000 people at one time, feeding 5,000 in a tremendous miracle uh, contrary to nature, he healed, uh, he healed many people. A lot of the miracles are healings of people with a withered hand or other things. The man who had taken, had had a, uh, was paralyzed and had to be carried on the pallet. And there's many other ones in the Gospel of Luke. Tonight is, is a story, and it's one of my favorites. In fact, Jesus um, highlighted this one and another one about a woman. And he's going to say that what happened in this man's life and this man's faith, this man's faith was, was better than he'd seen anywhere else in Israel. Now, if you, uh, if you heard that, wouldn't you say, I've got to read about that. I've got to find out what it is. Uh, Tommy the other day said something about one of his young guns, and he said one of the best there ever was, and it shocked the young gun too. He wasn't expecting that. But it meant a lot to him because he was recognized as someone who excelled. Well, this is one that Jesus is going to say, you got to look at his faith. And so I want to look at it personally again with you. Uh, it, it, we're at it, it, chapter 7. This kind of marks a shift in Jesus' ministry. Luke records miracles and works of Jesus as he dealt with Jews. And oftentimes in the Gospels, Jesus' first work was to the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And he even mentions that, I was sent first to the chosen people, the, the house of Israel. But because they said no to him, then he turned to the Gentiles. The feeding of the 5,000, those were Jewish people. He turned to the Gentiles, feeding of the 4,000, mostly uh, Gentiles. And so right here in this part of Luke, this man that we're going to look at here tonight uh, is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. A Gentile is someone other than a Jew. When you read in the scriptures where it talks about going to the isles or to the nations, God is referring to other than the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, the passage that we're going to look at is going to deal with different types of people, different classes of people. Do we have class even though uh, in our world we think we don't have a class system, but we do. He's going to deal with different races different religions, and different statuses. I think this is a great passage for me and us to look at to see how Jesus, who is impartial, he loves all of us. For God so loved the world, he didn't say one part of the world, one half of the world, one third of the world. He's going to deal with some people in this passage from all different aspects of life. And Jesus works 
his miracle and his love toward them. I think the church should too. Look with me at the first of this, if you would. In, in Luke chapter 7, it says, when he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he ended the sermon. That's what you're going to feel like in just a few minutes. Is he ever going to end the sermon? I just don't know. Uh, when he had ended his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, is a, it was the hometown of Peter. In fact, if you've ever visited uh, Israel and you get to go to that area north, uh, northwest of the, uh, I believe it's northwest of uh, the shore of Ga the Sea of Galilee, you'll, you'll see some remnants of a house that they believe was, was Peter's home. Jesus, much of his ministry was done north of the Sea of Galilee. And I believe he often, as the scripture tells us, often went back there. It was kind of like a home base. So this was a city, not his hometown, not in Galilee, not in Nazareth, but it was a place where Peter lived, uh, Jesus and the apostles would re resort there many times. Verse 2, it says, And a centurion slave who was highly regarded. That word there reminded me, um, I was asked to do my first funeral in uh, 1982. I'd never done a funeral before. I'd been to a lot of them, but I'd actually been uh, in the church and around people as they passed and their families since I was just a little boy. My mom served in the church that I grew up in, and uh, she passed early. And so I was familiar in a lot of ways with that time and how sensitive it is, how valuable it is. In fact, in the town where I used to live, I told the, the funeral homes if they ever Every, someone uh, passes and they don't have a pastor, you call me because people's hearts are more ready to hear the gospel at that time than at other times. But I was asked to do one in, in 1982 and I was so thin back then. I can't believe I'm telling this. Uh, maybe they'll turn that off that's going all over the world. But I was so thin, the one suit that I had uh, I didn't fill it out very well. So I had to wear my basketball shorts underneath my slacks for my suit to kind of fill it out a little bit. Now, some of you are thinking, you don't have that problem anymore, do you? No, there was a metamorphosis, something. Uh, something took away this thing called metabolism. I do not have that anymore. But I'll never forget how I thought uh, unworthy, how unworthy I was to uh, preach that that message. It was short, it was sweet, it was Bible, and I tried my best to comfort that family. Here we see a centurion slave who is highly regarded. When I, when I do a message at a, a funeral time, there's four things that I always want to mention in the personal aspect, talking about the person. And, and one of them was, how was he recognized or how was she recognized? And you can talk about how they looked and how their mannerisms and what they were known for. And because all of us are different, and I like to do that. So how were they recognized? How were they regarded? What did people think of them? When you thought about this person, what would people say? When you write a tribute on that wall, what did they say about them? The third one is, how will they be remembered? How will they be remembered? And then the fourth one is, how will they be rewarded? For all of us as Christians are waiting to hear some words one day, aren't we? Well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. So when I read that word there, a centurion slave who was highly regarded. Now, wait a minute. Did we read that right? 
the centurion was probably employed by uh, Herod Antipas. It would be a tough job to have because you had to, you had to control the Jewish people. You, you were an occupying country. You had to appease Herod. There were taxes involved. Uh, there was protection involved when there was something going wrong. But there was also this conflict between Rome and Israel. And to be a Roman centurion, um, it would be a difficult job. But this man had a slave. In, in this case, it means a servant to him who was highly regarded. Now, this man is probably over 100 soldiers a centurion in uh, basically in, in, in most common cases was over a hundred different soldiers. And I, wanted, I want you to see, I want you to think with me about the word worthy. Worthy. So-and-so is worthy. They're worthy of that. When we use that, we're talking about specific characteristics that are in people's lives that we should give honor to. And the scripture here says, and I love this, it says... The centurion slave who was highly regarded. And I believe that's talking about uh, the slave there. In all of history that we have studied about in world history, have servants or slaves been highly regarded? No. Some of the, 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 the failures of nations all over this country is to mistreat people that have been put in different categories. And it's wrong and it's sinful and it's not Bible. So the first thing we see here in asking the question, I want to ask you that question, who is worthy? Who is worthy? And the first one, number one, the centurion shows worthiness and respect for his slave. He highly regarded this man that worked for him. You want to get the best out of the people that work for you if you're a boss? You highly regard them. If you, uh, if you put them down, if you insult them, they don't have that respect for you, and they don't want to work hard. But I believe that this was a totally different case in this man's life. He highly regarded this slave. And that gives me uh, uh, instruction how I ought to treat people too. He's saying this, this slave is good enough. He deserves respect. He, deserve, he is worthy. So a centurion slave who is highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. Now, if this man had shown respect and that this man was worthy, he can't help but be impacted because somebody he cares for is about to die. Wouldn't you agree that I mentioned a while ago when someone is very, very ill or they've been injured or, or just, uh, just at the time of life when they're about to pass, isn't that a very valuable, important hours and days that you can be with them? One of the things that I asked the men on Wednesday morning um, in these very chairs that you're sitting, and I have for years, please write your life story. Please write your life story. Uh, some of them have written books. They're that thick. Some of them have written half a page, and I think, now I know you can write more than half a page, but please write your life story. You know what happens when you do that, men and women? Uh, you may say, I'm young. I don't need to write. No, write your life story right now and put dot, dot, dot to be continued. When we do that, God invariably reminds us of the good things he's done in our life. I did mine years ago, and I can add to it. And when I write that down, it's good for me because I can stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. On the way here tonight, I, I was listening to a song by Garth Brooks, that great theologian, you know. You know uh, but it was, I thank God for 
unanswered prayers. And I could relate to that. When I was younger, there were things I would almost ask God like a, a little child asked for a puppy. Mom and dad, if you'll give me a puppy, I'll wash it and I'll clean it. I'll bathe it. I'll feed it. I'll take care of it. I'll never ask for another thing until they're about 15. If I could get a car and get my driver's license, uh, I'll take care of it and I'll wash it and I'll, t- and I'll never ask for another thing. But I had to look back at my life and I do thank God. They weren't unanswered prayers. They were just prayers that he said, no, I've got something better for you. So here this man comes and asking the question, who's worthy? In this passage we see that the centurion, the soldier, thinks his, his uh, slave that is about to die is worthy. He, he's respectful and I need to show respect to him. But when someone is about to pass, there's, there's something valuable. Let me finish what I said a while ago. Write your life story because you need it and your family needs it. You need it, and other people need to read it also. God will remind you of so many things that he's done that you can stop and thank him for, but others, your family and other people need to read. Those men have brought me copies of their life stories, and I count that valuable. I love to read them, and I love to have them. So, number one, the centurion showed respect and worthiness for his slave. And it said he was sick and about to die, and when he heard about Jesus... He sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. Now, again, we got to stop for a second. This is a Roman uh, centurion soldier. He is not a Jew, but wherever he is stationed and he is serving in his capacity as a uh, soldier, he has a relationship with some Jewish elders. Isn't that a little bit odd? That doesn't always happen, does it? Because the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't have any dealings with one another. The woman at the well, that she was so surprised that Jesus talked to her, being a woman, but also being not a Jewish woman. They just didn't have any dealings with each other. Uh, the land of Samaria, where there were transplanted people of mixed races, a Jew would go around that area. They wouldn't travel through there. But we see something different in this passage, and that's one of the reasons I love it so much, the, it says that he sent, when he heard about Jesus, and what would he have heard? Well, there's a Jewish carpenter that is now a teacher, and there's a great following that's following him. And we heard that he has healed some people. We heard that he's done some miracles that no one's ever done before. And so there was probably a, a report about Jesus this man heard of healing someone, and he loves this man. He loves this, this slave. And when he heard about Jesus, he went to some Jewish elders that he had some relationship with. I just think that is important to point out because that didn't always happen that way. And that's number two. The centurion shows worthiness and respect for the Jewish elders. I was on a cruise not long ago suffering for the Lord. Somebody has to. And there was a whole group of people from Israel. And someone told me, uh, those people from Israel over there. And I said, great. And I went and, and told them, I said, I've been to your country. I have great respect for all of you as Jewish people. And they just looked at me like, I don't think they hear that every day. And I just, they said, would you come back sometime? I would love to come back. I love the land of Israel. And I had a great, great visit with them. The Bible tells us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. We need to pray for God's Jewish people. Does the government in Israel do everything right? No. 
Does the government in America do everything right? I'll just leave that up to, <laughs> we can put a big no there. But the Jewish people are God's chosen, that he has chosen, and we need to show great respect to them. The Bible teaches us they bear us up as the root. We are branches that have been grafted in. They are blinded for our sake so that we as Gentiles could come in. Amazing, beautiful part of God's word. But that number two is I've heard about Jesus and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got a big ask. Do you believe in asking big? We've got a big God and it's okay to do that. Ask big, pray big. He heard about Jesus, had healed some people, and he went to Jewish elders. Now, what would be the normal response of the Jewish elders? If you study your Bible, hey, I want you to go talk to Jesus. Uh-uh, I'm not going there. They thought, most of them thought he was um, a radical. They thought he blasphemed. They thought that he was not from God, and they rejected him. I just love this story, and I'm going to say that often, I guess, because it's all different types of people, all different classes, all different statuses, different backgrounds, and what Jesus is going to do just unites them all. Who's worthy? Well, the centurion said his slave was. And the centurion shows worthiness and respect for these Jewish elders. He shows them respect that I'm going to ask you to go to Jesus you can have a relationship with him. I respect you. Your words will carry weight. When we think about the word worthy, that's what the definition is. It means it carries weight. It carries weight. We have certain people that if they walked in here tonight, we, would, uh, we have some that would, we would stand up. If you hear, normally we would stand up. Uh, if you have people that you are waiting to hear that have maybe ambassadors from another country, uh, we could have dignitaries in different ways and we show them respect because we count them worthy. So the first thing, the centurion shows worthiness to a slave. Secondly, the centurion, the Roman soldier, shows worthiness to the Jewish elders. He has respect toward them and I think rightfully so. The Jewish elders did not reject his request. And here is God unifying some people, Jew and Gentile, slave and master, and different races, different religions, different statuses. And then number three, the centurion shows worthiness and respect for Jesus in sending him for him. This man very possibly may be uh, what the Bible calls a God-fearer. A God-fearer are people of the Old Testament, some in the New Testament here, that are not Jewish people. I believe Jonadab, Jeremiah 35, I believe he was a God-fearer. Uh, Cornelius in the book of Acts, I believe he was a God-fearer. And what these people were, they were not Jews, they didn't become a proselyte of, of Judaism, but they honored God, they honored him. And they prayed to him, and Cornelius, he gave alms. And so think about that when you study about people that the Lord shows there's faith in them, but they're not Jewish people and they're not Christians yet. They're God-fearers, and I believe God honored. This very possibly could be one of those men. So the, the uh, centurion shows worthiness for his slave. He shows that the Jewish elders are worthy. The centurion shows that Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy to go and ask him 
a big ask for his slave. Verse 4, when they came to Jesus, this is the elders of the Jews, they earnestly implored him. Are there different kind of prayers that we pray? When I was young, they taught me to pray. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Always wondered about that one. If I should die before I wake, you know, I pray the Lord my soul. Are they expecting something tonight? Should I pray that, you know? Uh, we would pray when we ate our food. God is great. God is good. Let us eat. Uh, thank him for this food. Um, and those were little prayers, and I memorized the Lord's Prayer when I was a little boy. And we repeated those things. But you know, sometimes in my life, I didn't repeat a, a memorized prayer. Sometimes in my life, with tears coming out of my eyes, I cried out to Jesus, help me. My teenage years, I cried out to Jesus a lot, help me. And that's what he means here. They earnestly they didn't just throw up a little memorized prayer. They begged Jesus. Are you here tonight? You need to beg him. There's no one in the New Testament anywhere that begged and came to Jesus that he didn't do a mighty work in their life. Did you know that? He will. You draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He's here tonight and he can hear your prayer. So it says, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he is worthy. Now, who are they talking about? They're talking about the centurion. They're going to make a request to Jesus that you would heal this slave guy, but we want to tell you a little bit about his boss. We want to give credentials of this man. Here is his resume. Jesus, we want you to know we're Jewish elders, and we give the stamp of approval on this man. The centurion, I vouch for him. Have you ever done that before? Have you gone to an event, and you tried to go in, and nobody knew who you were? And then somebody very, very uh, well-known. I went one time to take something to the, uh, uh, the, uh, fair, the state fair of Texas. If you've ever been down there, you know how crowded that can get. They just had the parade down through down, downtown Dallas. I was taking a 36-foot travel trailer with my big pickup on those little roads down there to park it in a place for people to use it for two weeks. When I pulled up there, it was like, well, who are you? you? I didn't have a tag. I didn't have any credentials. I'd never been there before. But when I said a man's name who is over all the animals of the whole fair and has been for maybe 40 years, all of a sudden the gates opened, the golf carts came, how are you doing, Mr. Spencer? Can we escort you? I had an escort to where I could take that great big old thing and park it in there. That was really fun, by the way. Never again. But I got in there on somebody else's credentials. Right now, there is a video, and I want to encourage you to go listen to it, by Alistair Begg. And he's preaching a sermon and he's talking about the thief on the cross that cried out to Jesus, you remember? Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And the Bible tell, tells us that in the beginning of that story, he cursed Jesus just like the other thief did. They both cursed him. But something happened in this one man's heart. And he cries out to Jesus, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Jesus said those great words, today you will be with me in paradise. And he was. 
but, my, uh, but uh, um, Alistair Begg's preaching a sermon, and he goes through a great big list of things. This man never went to vacation Bible school. He never went to a, a small group. He never went to a church service. He never tithed any income. He never got baptized, and he goes through this whole list. Why should we let you in? And it's really a neat video. You need to go and look it up. Don't look it up now while I see some of you right now. But it's really good. He is saying all of these things. This man never did this. He never got to do this. He never got to do this. Things that you and I in the church have done our whole lives. And he said, how do you get to be in here? He said, because the man on the middle cross said I could come. I love that. Because the man on the cross in the middle said I could come. When we get to heaven, we're not going to roll out our resume and it go on the floor, you know, for several feet. This is why you should let me in. Why should I get to go to heaven? Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. We've got the greatest pass into heaven. It's stamped by Jesus' blood. Is that not good? So look that video up. Verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he's worthy. He's a heavyweight. He's one of the big guns. They tell me in different uh, military settings that when there are um, high-ranking military men and women, oftentimes they're invited to sit on the stage. So if you have generals or you have colonels and majors and the highest-ranking ones will sit up there on the stage. But they tell me often in those settings when someone comes into their presence with a purple heart, they all come to their feet because they recognize and give honor to someone that has been wounded in action. I like that. It doesn't matter what rank is on her or his shoulder. If they have that purple heart, they show respect. Well, that's what these Jewish elders are doing. Let us tell you about this guy, worthy. It's, it's actually the word axios, A-X-I-O-S, and it means heavyweight. He's a big dog. She's a big dog. She's important, and we're, they're worthy of our honor, our respect, and our notice. So that's what they're actually telling Jesus. Uh, let us tell you about this guy. We're going to ask you. He's asking for you to do something. He, he deserves it. He's worthy. And this is what they said. For, uh, he, he is worthy for you to grant this to him, answer his request, for he loves our nation. That must have been strange for Jesus to hear because here is a Gentile that loves the Jews. It's not happening very often. But these Jewish elders are giving witness. This man does. He loves us as Jews and he's not one of us. So he's worthy. And it is who, he who built us our synagogue. Not only does this man have respect for the Jewish people, but he donated and he gave and he built us a synagogue to worship in. They are highly uh, making it clear that Jesus should answer this man's request because he's worthy. He's worthy. He deserves what he's asking from you. So that's number four. The Jewish elders show worthiness and respect for the centurion. Verse six. Now, Jesus started on his way with them. This is number five. Jesus must have counted this centurion and his slave worthy enough for him to stop where he was going, what he was doing, and to go to him. Would you agree? Jesus had to think, I need to go. 
Uh, so he started out going to where the centurion and his slave was. That's number five. Jesus showed worthiness and respect for the Jewish elders and their report. Man, you just got to come. You've got to heal this man's slave because this man loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. We vouch for him. He, he is the real deal. I get the pleasure in Denton Bible Church of introducing a lot of new people to others in the church that have been here a long time. And I love to do that. Hey, can I hear your story? You always get invitations to hear people's story. And then secondly, could I introduce you to these people trying to plug them into the church? I love doing that. And oftentimes I'll say, when I introduce them to these people, I'll say to them, they're the real deal. These are people that you can respect. And that's why I wanted to introduce them to you. That's what the Jewish elders did for on behalf of the centurion to Jesus. So number five is Jesus showed worthiness and respect for the Jewish elders. And number six, Jesus showed worthiness and respect for the centurion. He has in his heart saying he's worthy for me to leave what I'm doing and go to heal his slave wherever he lives. But notice what happened. This just gets better and better to me. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, now this is curios here. It's like saying, sir. He's not saying, Lord, Jehovah God, master. He is saying, sir, do not trouble yourself further for I am not worthy. Interesting. That's the word hikanos. It means I'm not even adequate. He's not, he's not raising that to a high level. He's just saying, uh, I'm not even adequate for you to come under my roof. Does that remind you of anything? God had shown a man named John the Baptist that there was going to be one coming that was going to take away the sin of mankind. And John began preaching the baptism of repentance. You remember, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And when he sees Jesus coming to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He it is. I am not worthy. He it is that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit with fire. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy. Jesus said, baptize me, John. And John said, no, you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, baptize me, John, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. But there's John the Baptist saying, I'm not worthy to do that. Here's this man. He said, I'm not worthy for you to have to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And I think that that's one of the great things. Number seven is the centurion shows worthiness by confessing his unworthiness. God loves humility. God loves him. The Bible says the proud are going to be put down one day. God loves humility. And this centurion says, tell Jesus he doesn't have to come here. This is also going to reveal his faith. I'm not worthy for him to even come to my house. What would happen for a Jew to enter the house of a, of a Gentile? He would be defiled, wouldn't he? And this man's not asking Jesus to do that. He's saying, I'm not worthy. Well, that tells us that he was more worthy. For this reason, in verse 7, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Look how humble this man is. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And Jesus also, I'm really not worthy to be in your presence. 
but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Is there power in the word of God? There is. Not using God's word like a magician, abracadabra, open sesame. No, but there's power in the word of God because it's the word of God. Do you see this man's heart? I, I don't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but you just say the word. All you have to do is say it, Jesus. You don't have to be there. You don't have to touch him. You don't have to anoint him with oil. You don't have to have a handkerchief you've been carrying. You don't have to sell him something that you have prayed over and, and get money for. You don't have to do any of those things. You just say the word, Jesus, and I believe my servant will be healed. And he goes on and describes his responsibilities, his job. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. I want you to know that my position, I'm in a position of authority, and I tell people what to do. That's part of my job. Uh, but I, know, I want you to notice there, he didn't say, I'm in a position of authority. Did you catch what word he used there? God's word's written so perfectly. He says, I'm a man under authority. That was a humble uh, way to say, I'm not just elevating myself in superiority, but I'm a man under the authority of my job. And he knows that he still has those in authority above him. Do you know we never get out of that as long as we live? There's some, always somebody that, show, that we need to show um, we're under their authority. In a church, we're under the authority of the leadership of the church. When you sign that church covenant, you're saying, I submit myself to the elders of the church. The elders are in a great responsibility. They will give an account for all of us on the day of the Lord. How would you like to be in that situation? Here comes old Mike. What do you say, elders of Denton Bible Church? Well, <laughs> they're going to give an account. Have they prayed for me and have they loved me and have they discipled me and encouraged me and corrected me when I needed correction? And We're all underneath authority. I've told you that story before. I'll repeat it. A man named Lee, his last name Lee, said, I can't stand for my parents to tell me what to do. He just had a problem with authority. Uh, the teacher, he went to school, I can't stand for my teachers to tell me what to do. In the town, he said, I can't tell. I can't stand for the police to tell me what to do. So he joined the Marine Corps. He ended up uh, getting both of his legs blown off by one of those improvised explosive. And he's majorly today going all around the country talking about his faith in Jesus and how Jesus has changed his life. But he tells you, I'm still under authority. We're always under authority. This man is humble. And he said, I'm a man under authority. I tell this slave to do this and do that. Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. Did you know there's only time, two times in the New Testament when the Scripture says Jesus marveled about something? In other words, he is kind of shocked. Now, he is the Son of God, all-knowing, but his human part of his life is marveling at something. Mark chapter 6, he marveled at their unbelief. And here at Luke 7, he now marvels at this man's faith and his belief. Only two times that it's mentioned that in the New Testament. Jesus heard this. He marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. I wonder what the Jewish delegation that came thought about that. 
I haven't found that much faith in all you Jews. But I find it in this Gentile. Jesus always told the truth. I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. Such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Did Jesus need to come and touch him? Anoint him? No. All he needed to do was say the word, think the thought, because the power is in Jesus and not in the things that he could touch him with. When those who had sent, been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Again, we see no time in the New Testament where somebody came to Jesus in humility, asked for mercy. I was preaching out of the book of Psalms um, several years ago in this very place, and I talked about a man that fears God. And a young lady got up and went out of the service, and she ended up talking to one of our college uh, uh, workers, the lady who worked with our college people. I wish our college people were here tonight. Some of you are, and I'm very grateful. But uh, when I was leaving, she was out going to her vehicle, and I saw her crying. And I said, oh, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I pray? You want to talk to? And I named the, the college lady, and she said, no, I've already talked to her. And I said, good. Well, can I pray? Is there something wrong? She said, no, this, those words really, really hit me tonight. And I need to call my dad. And I thought, how great. There's that other video that's going around or a, a, um, a picture that's going around that says these words of a young man. I've really messed up. My dad's going to kill me. But right underneath that, it says, I've really messed up. I need to call my dad. Wow. Well, she said, I need to go call my dad. She did. Got things right at home, got things right in her life. I did her wedding two years ago. We kept them in our home because they're headed to be missionaries in Austria with their four-month little old baby this last week. You don't think that was a pleasure and a joy? God is in the business of changing people's lives. And I'm so grateful. He marveled at this man and his faith. When they got back home, they found the slave had been healed just as Jesus had commanded now, he doesn't always feel healed physically. He still can, but he, he still honors and rewards true faith. I want you to turn in your Bibles as I get ready to close and to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. When we think about this word, worthy, this has always been a passage impactful to me. Revelation chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I found back there on the back table someone this week, uh, evidently it could be the youth or someone else, had printed out the words to a song that we sing in church sometime. And it's called He is Worthy. I think it's by Shane and Shane. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation growing? You're, uh, groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be uh, the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? 
Is anyone worthy? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave, he is David's root and lamb who died to ransom the slave. He is worthy. Let me read this to you real quickly. Chapter 5. I saw, this is John, he is seeing a scene in heaven. And there is a book that is brought out for him to look at and, and all of heaven to look at. It has seven seals on it. And he said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, double-sided, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Now, I've talked to you here tonight that the centurion showed he was worthy by being humble and saying, I'm not worthy. He showed the worthiness of his slave that he is a good man. He deserves to be healed. He showed worthiness to the Jewish elders. He respected them to be able to go talk to Jesus. The Jewish elders showed that to Jesus, you ought to respect this man. He's worthy. He says, again, I'm not worthy for him to come to my house. I'm not worthy for me to go to him. All he has to do, this Jesus, is say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this everywhere. We've used the word worthy all through the passage tonight. But in heaven... A mighty angel cries throughout heaven for all that are there. And he says, who's worthy to open this book? Now, you would think Abraham would stand up and say, I'll do it. Moses could stand up and say it. David. But nobody stands up to say, I'll open that book. Because all the worthiness that I've talked to you about tonight in the centurion and in the slave and in the Jewish elders, all the worthiness that we've talked about, and we need to show respect to one another, it pales in comparison to the one who truly is worthy. Because look what it says. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or even to look at it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. You know what I believe John was experiencing? He was saying, is there no hope? Is there no hope? There's a reason for this book, and, and it, there's a need that we need that book. And I'm so sad that no one can open this book. When we look at our world today, do you feel like that sometime? Do we have great need? We do. It's not worse than it's been before. I know we talk about that generation to generation. It was pretty bad back in Genesis when God sent a flood to destroy the whole world. Pretty bad back then. We're just seeing it get worse in front of our eyes right now. And it makes me want to cry sometime and say, Lord, please come and help us. Please do a miraculous thing. When I hear of revivals around the country, I'm not going to stand in judgment about them because they're not of our denomination or they're not of my skin color or my, the language. That I, don't, I don't care. If that's a true revival where the Holy Spirit is working and it's not contrary to God's word, I say amen. I had a friend of mine go to the Asbury there in Kentucky and you ought to hear what he wrote back to me about that place. I've got it on my phone in a text. He saw humility there. They didn't put on a show. In fact, when Tucker Carlson, uh, the, the uh, uh, newscaster, wanted to go film them, they said, don't come. This is not for a show. And Tucker Carlson wrote back to them and said, I honor you. I, I'm proud of you for saying that. You're right. It's not for a show. 
I don't know what all happened there, but that friend of mine that went there said some good things were taking place. I look at the world today and I say, oh God, won't you step into history again? We're in a season of grace right now and God's not doing a lot of those miracles that he did before because he's already sent his son Jesus. Nothing needs to be added to that. When Jesus died on the cross, you don't need plus another miracle. We just need Jesus on Calvary. Jesus raised from the dead. We've got the greatest news. He's just waiting to see who will say yes to him. You may be here tonight and you think, I just came to church to see somebody or maybe meet some new people. I want to tell you, you came here and God knew you'd be here. And the same God that did a miracle for this guy here knows that you're here. And he may want to do a miracle in your life. It may not be physical healing. It may be something else. He's here and he can do that for you. But I feel like John sometimes. I want to cry. When I see young people who don't know whether they're male or female, whether they're important or they're not, make so many choices because somebody, or parents make choices for the little children when they're not even old enough to know what's going on. I want to cry when I see the things in our government, when I see the things in our churches. I want to cry when I see some things in my own life. How about you? You know, one of the things that's always evident when there's a revival, confession of sin. I've committed in my life for the next few weeks to make sure that my heart is, an, is in an attitude of confession. I invite you to join with me. So sometimes I feel like John. He said, I wept greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, I just love that. This is that pivotal time in the movie, you know, the climax. Did you ever watch Rocky? Did you ever watch Rocky II? Remember that one? Right in the middle of it, he's just getting beaten up because his wife didn't really want him to fight Adrian. He didn't really want him to, so he's out there trying to do his best, but he knows she's over there. She's upset about it. And right in the middle, in the big part of that stage fight, you know, I know it's all Hollywood, but you get kind of caught up in it. He looks over there at her, and he's getting beaten up pretty badly in the fight. But he looks over there at Adrian, and Adrian says, Rocky, win. Woo. We talked about that. I was in high school. We talked about that for weeks because that was the pivotal turning point of that movie. Rocky win, and he just beats the other guy up after that. Well, here, John's crying, and one of the elders said to him, Stop weeping. This isn't a time to cry. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. Now, the lion that shows up in Revelation, what does he look like? You remember? He appears in different forms. And this lion of the tribe of Judah is a lamb that still has wounds on him part of the time. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him, God who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, centurions and slaves and Jews and Gentiles. You have made them to be kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. You are worthy 
And every song that they could write, if they filled the whole world up with a song saying he is worthy, there wouldn't be enough songs. So to answer the question of the message here tonight, who's worthy? We need to show respect to one another. I want to show respect to that centurion, his slave. I want to see them both in heaven. I want to see those Jewish elders in heaven. I pray that they accepted Jesus. I want to see John and Mark and Abraham and Moses and David and all them. But you know what all we'll be doing when we get there? We'll just be bowing before him and saying, he's worthy. He's worthy. And as long as there's some churches in America and there's some Christians in America and there's some young people on college campuses and high school and junior high campuses and there's some faithful people in our neighborhood saying he is worthy, this country's not as bad as it could be. I got hope. Who is worthy? He is. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. It just resets my focus that I need to respect men and women, young people of all ages, of all different backgrounds, no matter where we've come from. I need to show respect to them. I need to be willing to ask big of a big God. I need to honor and show honor where honors do and to love like Jesus loved. But, oh Lord, I need to bow myself before you and admit I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm not worthy for me to come to you. I'm not worthy to be in this church here tonight. But by your grace, you've invited us. But we as a group of people here tonight on this planet, small group of people, Lord, compared to all the people that are alive, we say to you tonight, Jesus, you are worthy. And we don't have to weep because we know you're the lion of the tribe of Judah. You've come to make things right. You will prevail. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.